We welcome the Sam Chase and the Untraditional to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. This is a band that we've been waiting a long time to have on the show. Sam's songs are poignant and personal, and the band's performances of those songs powerful. Tonight we'll go deep into the experiences and philosophies that have shaped these songs, and later a set of music. Please welcome to the program the Sam Chase and the Untraditional. Welcome. Hey. Hello. Everybody now. That was untraditional. It's like a barbershop. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> hello. hello. I get it's more like a Gregorian <laughs> chant. Yeah. I yeah. think yeah. we're very somber. You're very untraditional. Yeah, although that <laughs> argument would be one of the more yeah. traditional. It's like in the movie when they they use the title of the movie yeah. in the script. Everybody loves it every time. <laughs> oh yeah, standing ovation every time. Yeah. Tom Gaffey, you spent so much time with the album today. You said to me, this sounds like a person going through a midlife crisis. Oh, I did, didn't I? That's really mean. (laughs) No, no, no. Actually, no, I did not say. He's a real burn guy. Here's the deal. I did not say sounds like a midlife crisis. The crisis prior to the midlife crisis. Well, you're pretty accurate there. Yeah, I think I got that one. We call that Um, a quarter life crisis. Basically, um, listening to pretty much everything you wrote, you nailed it. Of Sam Chase. Um, <laughs> you pretty much were able to put us where we are politically today. Yeah, uh, you you deal with uh, quite a few uh, issues that I think are important to you at this time. I think uh, you're probably speaking to all the uh, the thoughts about mortality and uh, imminent imminent demise yeah. or, or future demise. Or, uh, well, of course, you had an album in 2013 called "The Sam Chase Will Never Die." Yeah. <laughs> And it's true. I never have. Yeah. So I've lived up to that promise pretty well. I've always said for myself, I will be very surprised if I die. And when I was listening to that album, I was like, this is a person who's kind of aligned with me on that one. Like, that's yeah. going to be a real shocker to me. Do you think about happens. Do you think about death a lot? I think about death a lot, yeah. I was wondering, I was thinking, I thought everybody thought about death a lot, and then I've been talking to people about it, and uh, apparently I'm kind of alone on this. But I think, you know, there's, it's a... Uh, it's, it's, I think it's kind of important to think about. Uh, apologies to the audio listener. How many people at the table think about death a lot? Yeah, I mean... I, what, what the hell? You're not raising your hand, Sam Chase? No, I already told you. Yeah. I didn't have to raise it. <laughs> I for, wouldn't say a lot. It's for the but camera. It, it definitely, um, as you know, you cross in the street, the thought will come, oh, is this the last time I'm going to cross the street? Or you play a song that you love, and you're like, is this going to be the song that's playing when the plane falls out of the sky and falls on me? Like, just every once in a while, just get random thoughts. But I'd say, like, once a day. Oh, oh yeah. I'm constantly thinking about it. When I'm, like, holding my cat, for example, (laughs) and I'm, like, looking at my adorable young cat, I'm thinking, it's going to suck the day you die. Like, every time I'm looking at my cat, just like, oh, (laughs) you are just an adorable, (laughs) fluffy little thing. But there's a little thing in my head that's always thinking about... You know, the day when all those things end. So I, maybe not my own death, but the death of people around me and family members around me and stuff. Cool, like that. man. 
cool. No, this cool. is no, this actually, this is good. This is the man, the Sam Chase. This is why we're here to get to know him. Um, it feels like then that maybe uh, you the, don't. The living Sam Chase. I thought I already knew him. <laughs> that's, that's yeah. the well, and that's now just picturing over the dad. next seven hours. You're going to learn a lot more. Um, <laughs> now, uh, do you feel like you don't fully let yourself uh, be um, <laughs> immersive in joy and to be fully present? Well, you know, I never really thought about what that meant until I started talking to people. It's kind of like you never really know whether or not you had a good upbringing until you've met people that have had a good upbringing. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, I'm a perfectly happy and optimistic person, but that's just always something I think that kind of keeps me feeling good about the moment that I'm in is that it can always be worse than this. A lot of people kind of get down on themselves and like, oh man, you know, this is the worst. It's like, no, it's not the worst. There's always something that could be worse. Question I would have is, have you had many people close to you that have died? I mean, I've had friends and I've had family members, obviously. Because I feel like for me... All it, my it, childhood it pets are dead. Well, that doesn't count. <laughs> I mean, bless them. Yeah. They're in pet heaven, if that's what you believe. Um, but it's the only heaven I believe in. I feel in. like people... <laughs> <laughs> I would rather go, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, totally off topic, but I have a friend, uh, friend's family owns a cemetery. They say the cemetery loses the money, but the pet cemetery makes enough for them to keep it going. So just a fun fact <laughs> about the cemetery business. An adorable little cemetery. It's an adorable little cemetery. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is better. I don't know. What, what do you feel then if, if there isn't like a traumatic death in particular that you experience why do you think that you're so um, preoccupied with the thing of death compared to your friends that you've asked who aren't I don't know it's just always been something that's been in the back of my head and I feel like ever since I was a little kid you know I was a really bad sleeper and I couldn't ever get to sleep and a lot of that was because these thoughts would come into my head about the day that my parents would die or something or, or something that uh you know, uh, you know, the day of those family members or friends and stuff. I guess I, I never really worried too much about my own death because I, I won't really be there to see it. Yeah. Um, but the people around me, I, you know, it, I, I always felt like I'd outlive everyone and that would be the biggest punishment. I thought of my epitaph, or my epitaph the other day. I thought of a really good one and I, and I want to share it. What's going to say on my tombstone It's going to say, uh, if you're reading this, I'm already dead. <laughs> I like it too because here it is. Yeah. People will reference back to this episode when they're trying to figure out what to put on there. I it, just wanted to get it on the record yeah. so that uh, nobody else takes it. All right? Yeah. You stay away from that one, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple years on you. I might, I might get to the finish line first. I hope not. <laughs> do you sometimes, I do this, and I also did that thing when I was young about the parents dying, a worrying mm. about that. Did anybody else at the table do that? Sorry, yeah. audio listeners. Yeah. Pretty much everybody. Yeah. 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 Uh, Worry? No. Do you sometimes, when you're in your silent moments driving around, do you sometimes think about what you would have to say at the eulogy? All the, the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah. 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 It's weird. It's a weird, like, burrow thought pattern. Mm-hmm. It's a weird, weird thing. It's the only time that I ever really talk to myself, too. I never really talk to myself around the house, but then it's when, you know, in those, like, those things that I might have to do down the road kind of things. Just, especially when I'm on the road by myself and I've like exhausted all the podcasts and all the podcasts I listen to are depressing as shit too. So, you know, it's like I'm, I'm done like crying to like this American life and I'm just like, oh man, let's turn this off and feel a little better. What will I say at my parents' eulogy? <laughs> and in the moment, it probably feels brilliant. Oh man, well, you know, some, some lines are funnier than others. <laughs> 
Um, has your view, <laughs> like, like the extended laugh on that? Josh is a good audience member. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I'm here. Yeah. Has your view on your own mortality changed since writing that album? It's been four years since that album came out. Since "Will Never Die" came out. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, you know. I'm a little bit more run down. You were kind of brash at the time that album came out. Some interviews you, you gave at that time, you were kind of like, yeah, I probably won't die. I yeah. probably won't die. I'm probably not going to die. Yeah, well, you know. Ever. I still haven't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Devil's little, advocate, you still I'm a little have. out of shape. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh-oh. 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 Yeah. But, uh, you know, other than that, I feel like I'm, I'm a strapping young lad with a lot of life let, yet to live. I agree. Songs yet to write. And also, te- yet to also write. testicular fortitude, but we can come back to that later oh, on. Jesus, you really, <laughs> um, you've done your research. I want to read a quote that you did in a recent interview with the Ventura County Reporter. And I felt that it serves as a really, <laughs> a really good mission statement for Sam Chase, the artist. And the quote that you said is as follows. Some songs are drinking songs, some are sad songs, some are joyous, some adventures, but all of them come from an honest place. I feel the listeners don't give enough credit to their internal bullshit radar. Most people can tell when a song doesn't come from an honest place. What I lack in just about every other aspect of songwriting, I make up for in honesty. I think that anybody that wants to pursue a career in art wants to pursue in a career in honesty and doing something that comes from a place that is deep and reflective and put it into the medium that they're working in. Um, I don't think that anybody wants to be a painter without wanting to paint the feelings and emotions that they can't necessarily understand without painting or to show the world in the way that they see it. Um, now, I think that there's a lot of people that do it for the wrong reasons, whether it be for notoriety or fame or for, you know, to get laid or whatever. You know, there's a lot of bullshit in performance. A lot of art um, can be construed as a selfish act anyways because it's mm-hmm. usually just you getting your shit out on paper or yeah. whatever. And there's certainly a lot of selfishness that goes in even when you are honest, you know. Well, yeah, yeah. You feel that people... You just have the yeah, good sort of selfishness. Yeah, yeah. Well, you feel that people, you know, need to hear your honesty. Um, but most people, especially... I mean, I can only speak for myself, I suppose. Um, I started writing songs to just it was kind of like my diary. It was just trying to get those thoughts out. And I didn't like keeping a diary and I knew how to play the guitar and I just liked to sing by myself. Um, so a lot of, you know, the first songs that I wrote, and especially when you, you spoke about uh, testicular fortitude and the album that came before it, hella solo. Uh, most of those songs I never intended to show and show anybody. Um, I played punk rock music for years and years and years. And, you know, exposing that kind of soft white underbelly of, you know, sappy internal strife songs, you know, I was, I didn't want to be seen as sensitive because I had these brash political punk songs that I wanted to be known for more. But nobody liked that shit. And then when they heard my honest songs that came from the place that actually... Uh, made me feel better and helped me reflect on my life and everything in the world. That's when people picked up on the songs and said, wait, you, you got this, this is the stuff. That other stuff is not the stuff, 
you know, this is you. And I think that's how people pick up on, you know, uh, a, a, a good, an artist that comes from an honest place. I don't think that they would necessarily put it into those words. I think that it's just that radar that exists, that subconscious radar. Yeah, you once said of those two releases that they probably should have never seen the light of day. I still kind of think that. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you wouldn't be where you are today without releasing Certainly them. So not, there's something no. positive about that. No, and they actually, I mean, I you know joke a lot, but you know, I love the fact that people picked up on it and liked listening to it. And I love the fact that it's what brought me here today with these guys and playing everywhere. You also basically said at the end of that article that the music is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the coolest thing about being an artist. I mean, any of you, it's just, you know, you, whether you're playing someone else's music or whether it's your own music, it's just, there's something that's really special about being able to like, I don't know, go into the world and be known for like what you create, uh, your passion, your passion, yeah. your art. I mean, there's not a, it's a blessing that you have if you're somebody who creates art, you know, a lot of other people have to be known for what their job is. Yeah. You get the blessing of being known for what you create when you're on a stage. And I think that's a beautiful thing. What's well, a slog and a struggle, but you get there and, uh, you work hard at it slog. and are lucky to, uh, you know, get paid for it and have people appreciate it. It's After a while. the best feeling in the world. <laughs> You strive for authenticity in what many consider to be a post-truth era. <laughs> Do you think there's more value now than ever in trying to strive for what you're trying to strive for? Than ever? Well, I mean, then in your um, lifetime. I mean, it doesn't it well, seem like, you know, you sing a song tonight about uh, mm-hmm. the, the Trump presidency and Trump the man, and it's very critical, uh, and I think mm-hmm. fairly so. But... Um, I don't know. It seems like the the whole world kind of shifted in the last year. So I mean in your lifetime, not than ever in the history of human history. I've never felt a need to be responsible for carrying the public discourse. I'm always just writing a song that I feel like I need to write for myself um, to make sense. And sometimes those songs are in direct... Uh, do reflect the public discourse and because of that I contribute to it does that make sense yeah like I'm not I'm not trying to change people's minds it's just that's what I'm thinking and if people react to it that's awesome you know, there's people uh, as a nation. We're all sharing the same experience in many ways. Some some experiences the same. So yeah, there's going to be some overlap on what we think, and and uh, you're going to be touching people when you're thinking these things. I consider it to be like, I mean, it's therapeutic for me, and I'm a human being. And then other human beings listen to it, and you know, the Relate. the themes are fairly universal. Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty universal that everybody thinks Trump's an asshole. Yeah. And the people that don't say it probably think deep down inside they're like, "Well, that guy's an asshole." Quietly, like no one's <laughs> yeah, yeah. They Actually, a lot of his supporters the will tell you they think he's an asshole, but yeah, they're he's, he's their asshole. He's their asshole. Yeah, it's interesting you put it that way. The previous thing about the music you make, you're not trying to convince people of one thing or the other. The the Great White Noise album, which is your most recent one, you said that that was not supposed to really be a political rallying yeah. cry, but it just came out at a pretty appropriate time. It came out in, came out in April of 2016. Mm-hmm. Election happened in November of 2016. Well, once the album started coming together, I definitely realized just how political it was and how it was, that was what was going through my head for that, you know, couple of years that 
the songs were popping up around. Uh, the Great White Noise, when I picked that as the, the title of the album, we were right in the thick of it. And everything that you hear when you turn on the TV or turn on your computer, turn on the radio, it's just everybody's yelling at the top of their lungs trying to, you know, get heard and not really saying anything. There was a lot of people that were just trying to get ratings or just trying to get clicks or trying to make people angry or trying to get people to, you know, fight with each other. And, you know, whether it was just friends and acquaintances on Facebook or whether it was people on the news or whether it was Donald Trump screaming about something stupid. Um, and to me, it just sounded, after a while, it just sounded like this white noise that was just this where if you put all of that together, all the screaming together, it's just, you can't understand or hear anything. And, you know, kind of when all these stupid things are being screamed at each other, nobody's really listening anyways. Um, you pick your side and you pick your team and you just go with it and you never really get a full perspective of what's going on in the world. And, you know, this is actually, you know, I was going to go on a tangent here about when we were on tour, this was after the album <clears throat> dropped so this doesn't really particularly go well with the story of how I wrote the album but um, it really made me feel better about how I felt about the Great White Noise which was that we were in Columbus, Georgia on tour on the East Coast tour and this was a couple of weeks before the election happened and we wandered into this smoky bar in Columbus, Georgia and immediately felt like we weren't welcome there because <laughs> there were Trump signs everywhere and uh, actually, we felt pretty welcome because there was this one drunk dude that was like, drinking contest, like immediately <laughs> when we walked in and just destroyed us. Just, yeah. uh, just chugged beer as fast yeah. as I've seen anyone chug beer. He was the beer chugging beers. champion of Georgia. I, yeah. Like, yeah. no, yeah, well. Was. Yeah. 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 So, so we felt welcomed by that guy. But, you know, everything else, there was like Trump signs everywhere. And then, and then the lady that owned the bar was wearing this giant Trump pin. And, and she was very sweet, but, you know, there was obviously something between us that, uh, you know, needed to get talked about. So uh, in between the set, the two sets, um, I walked up to the bar and she was standing at the bar and we were, we were sharing a drink and we were just talking about nothing really in particular. And then she said, so you're from San Francisco, huh? And I said, yep. And then she looked down at her pen and looked up at me and she said, you want to talk about it? <laughs> and I was like, I would love to talk about it. And I had a wonderful 45-minute conversation about why the fuck she was voting for Trump. And I wasn't trying to sway her. I wasn't trying to convince her, you know, otherwise. I just wanted somebody to just be honest with me and not yell and not fight and just, you know, have a good time having a conversation about why we have differences. And it was one of the most refreshing conversations I've had in years. Now, do I think she's a bit naive and kind of a sucker? Hell yeah, but I wasn't going to tell her that because, other, you know, that would have shut the conversation down but immediately. She thinks the same thing about you, though. Yeah, and I, that's fine by me. I wasn't trying to convince her otherwise. Um, but she heard where I was coming from, and I got to hear where she was coming from. And that was the thing that cut through the great white noise, and it made me feel so much better. You wrote, um, if you look closely uh, and see what exists between the frequencies of the noise, we might be able to get a small glimpse of what we used to be 
and how this hinders our humanity rather than allowing the great white noise to rewhite it. Freudian. To rewrite it. Um, so what do you perceive that we used to be and what do you think we are losing? Well, I mean, it's kind of my idea of what we used to be before we looked at especially politics as like a team sport where you pick your team and no matter what, even if they're playing terribly or doing badly, that you still support them. Um, I feel like there used to be a time when we were civil when it came to politics and could have these discussions. And I don't necessarily think it was that long ago. You know, this isn't some make America great type of slogan, but it's just kind of like, especially when it comes to politics, like there were times where I could have a conversation with somebody without it turning into a screaming match. Um, and, uh, y- you know, when you, like, uh, what was it? Um, oh, well, I can't remember it, so I won't bring it up. But, uh, you know, there, there was times where, like, debates didn't, weren't, Screaming matches for ratings, you know? They're actual intelligent people just communicating. I think if you keep it off TV and the radio, it probably isn't a screaming match. You were able mm-hmm. to uh, sit at a bar with a lady and, and have a conversation. Yeah. I've, I've witnessed plenty of screaming matches in bars, too, yeah, around well, that kind of stuff. But yeah. it, it takes, you know, two civil people to sit down and kind of recognize your similarities before you decide to talk about your differences. Something that, that kind of jumps to me is... is the danger of the echo chamber and you know you think about you were mentioning the debates and people yelling and that's exactly what an echo chamber is an echo chamber is not an exchange of ideas it's merely a group of people with common ideas expressing those ideas very loudly Mm -hmm. and i think that the idea of debate goes away when you get two people who have been brought up in an echo chamber and you put them together they don't know how to listen Mm -hmm. Um, i think that we here in the bay area sometimes become insulated to that fact because we all kind of fall in a certain uh political uh angle or slant and it makes it more difficult to have that debate because we just don't know how to. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, we d- nobody, nobody listens to each other, so therefore you're just saying the same talking points that you like, heard your team captain say. It's like when nobody listens to you and you're just saying the same talking points that the team captain says. <laughs> That's actually a great point, Dave. Thanks for bringing that up. That reminds me of team captain, what they say. Basically, everyone's just waiting for their turn to talk. So it's, it's hard to say like when when this was and I don't think that there necessarily may have been a time or not but like just in my own head and in my own like I I feel like there was a time at least in well at least in my you know realm where I lived with you know my family and friends there was a time when you know we could have better conversations whether it was a societal thing or not I'm I don't really know but I think that now is a lot worse than it may have been in the past. I think that the technology plays a part in it. I was say, I we, think, yeah, we can get on here and blame social media. That's a yeah, good one. <laughs> well, I don't think that people have fundamentally changed. I think just that we have different tools. I think if you'd taken, you know, let's say any time that we can think of where we would 
conceivably think of it as being civil discourse and you drop the internet in where all of a sudden these people that have these isolated ideas can very easily connect with other people that have similar ideas. It makes that echo chamber so much more poignant. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the echo chamber is anything new. I think we just have better tools for recognizing. (laughs) We've improved upon it to our detriment. Yeah. Why don't we just jump to the song that you play last tonight? Um, It's a little different from the normal Sam Chase uh, catalog. It's very specific. You, Mm. You sing a song. What's it called? It's called Hey Don. Tell us about this song. I was thinking about Donald Trump and how his entire life he's been the boss. And once he became president, he still thought he was the boss. But what he, I don't think he realizes and still doesn't realize is that the American people are the boss and he works for us. So he is an employee of the American people. And... Since we are the boss, like any good employer, we should give our employee a, uh, an assessment of how well they have done in their current job thus far. It's now November 2017. Excluding Donald Trump in this really strange time that we live in, what do you find like singularly most frustrating about this day and age? That's a really, really good question. <laughs> I mean, you, you just described a really mm-hmm. good side, which not a good side, but like a really good example of how people don't listen to each other. That's very frustrating. I think the most frustrating, it, I mean, I can only speak for myself, so I kind of would be more personal about it. But I, I get really frustrated with how easily I fall into the trap of getting sucked up into all of this noise. Um, I spent all day on Facebook today just reading about all the different crazy things that are happening in the news and, you know, comedians who I love that are now creeps and um, stupid things that our president's doing overseas right now and um, stupid tweets back and forth and, and everybody's opinions on it and friends that I love are fighting together or fighting against each other and all these things and and I just fell deep into that, vo- into that dark hole of, of the noise, and I couldn't get out of it. And, you know, it, it, that's not so, that happens all the time for me. I'm constantly stuck to a screen, you know, and I didn't really realize that actually until the other day when I was watching TV, <laughs> and there was a commercial for some kind of pill that you take that helps the eye strain that you get when you're looking at a screen. And I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And then kept looking at the screen. And then I looked at my phone. And then I wrote something on Facebook about how stupid that pill is. And then, and then I was like, oh, shit, I got to get those pills. <laughs> because my, my whole day is constantly looking at screens. And I hate, that's so frustrating. That's something that, I'm aware of. I'm aware of how horrible and stupid that is. But I fall right into You're the trap. Powerless. You're powerless to avoid its little magnetic yeah. pull. Yeah, and I could turn it off. But then I get antsy. I'm like, I wonder what society's doing right now <laughs> while I'm sitting in my kitchen. You wrote of the Great White Noise, which is, you know, very good for the brand that not only is it the new album, but it's also the thing you find most frustrating about society. Mm-hmm. But you wrote that um, it's the hypnotic pendulum swinging back and forth, making us sleepy, very, very sleepy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. It doesn't, you know, I don't 
get outside. I mean, I got a broken foot right now, so I can't really go outside. <laughs> but I, I don't get outside and go into nature as much as I want to or should. I don't, you know, go out and experience life as much as I should because I'm looking at this digital life through this digital avatar called Sam Chase's Facebook profile, you know, and, and seeing all my friends' avatar Facebook profiles, not really experiencing like the, the human life rather than rather just this, this kind of digital avatar life where people get to show their best, you know, angle and think about what they want to say and then sit, stand on their soapbox and say it rather than, you know, having a human interaction where we're just looking into each other's eyes right now and having a really nice conversation. The one thing that frustrates me and it dovetails with Sam's point is that there's an incredible short sightedness to how uh, we kind of plan things for our future globally and personally. And it's, you know, it wouldn't be so bad if like I was short sighted, like I'm just me doing my one thing. And, you know, if I'm not thinking ahead about my retirement, like it's probably not going to kill me. I'm only 31. But like the people who actually control things that are in government that are high up in corporations or whatever are only looking at what's literally right in front of them. They're not planning for the future. They're not thinking far ahead. And that mindset fucks us all in the end. You know what I mean? Because at a certain point, people are going to like, we all know, we all know the earth's getting hotter and whatever you believe is the cause of that. Climate change is obviously a a big uh, rah, rah, rah point of mine. That's why I keep coming back to that. But it's like if we could just if we could just get our noses out of the phone or just out of our own asses for a second and think for a little bit longer about like kind of a broader view, I think the world would be a better place uh, and society would progress in a more positive motion, or, you know, and more positively forward, you know. And you can take politics completely out of it at that point, you know what I mean? Because no one is. No one is thinking about our global future. They're thinking about their future and only their future in the next five minutes. Drives me up the fucking wall. I want to piggyback on that. Please do. Please do. Because I think I can say that I don't think there's ever been a generation that's existed in modern history that didn't think that it was going to be the last generation that ever existed. Like they all think that this is it. This is, we are the last generation. Everything, kids today, they're ruining everything. This is, we're done. The experiment, the human race is over. I think that every generation has that apocalyptic feeling. But I think that this generation that we are all living with and in right now is the first one that is thinking that, no, we're not going to die in this generation, but we're going to die at least in the next few you know, because it seems we've, like we've pushed those goalposts back. A yeah, bit. well, it's yeah, and it's kind of like this dis. We because we know now, you know, there was an imminent threat to each generation uh, before because there wasn't a realistic apocalypse that was going to be happening in three generations' time. Deep down, we all realize like our time here is fleeting. You know what I mean? Like your your existence is going to go in the blip of an eye. Um, but we all, so because we all kind of deep down know that as much as we shove it to the side, we get to this point where it's like, we're obsessed about our legacy. You know what I mean? And that's why we tend to think like the things we did when we were kids were the best. And, and we look back with rose colored glasses very fondly on things that have passed. And then we obsess about like, well, my life has, has to have been the best because 
otherwise, what is it? Like, what, what did I do? You know what I mean? If, if I wasn't living in the best generation, saying the most poignant things, listening to the best music, you know, like, what, what was it all for? You know what I mean? I, I, I've lived a life of regrets because I wasn't, you know, getting the most out of it. Anybody else frustrated? <laughs> Capitalism frustrates me a lot. I think it's really obvious that it's like the root of every single problem that we're dealing with. And I don't think anybody talks about it because capitalism is tied up into nationalism in a way where, uh, you know, I think it's just a vestige of McCarthyism that if uh, you speak out against capitalism, you're an enemy of the state. And I think everybody's really afraid about that. And I think that there's like a... Uh, nationalist underpinning even on the American left that keeps people from uh, thinking about socialism. And the fact of the matter is every single job that exists is going to be gone in like 25 years because of robots. And if we don't socialize like the, the what the robots make now, then we will uh, make permanent the caste system that we have in the Western world. And that is like constantly devastating to me, especially as a person who like works in retail to fund the thing that I'm actually giving a shit about, you know? It's like just perpetually crushing. Yeah, we could, we could innovate ourselves out of existence if we keep just in making bigger and better things that do things more efficiently and not pay attention to the fact that we actually made those we should be thinking about our future, not just the future of our devices, you know? I mean, heck, look at drum machines. Yeah, hey, hey, too close, man. Too close. <laughs> that cuts to the quick right there. I got right kids there. playing music on their smartphones nowadays. And I mean, actually creating music on their oh, smartphones. Oh, yeah, they're always selling those apps where it's like, you know, da -da 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 -da. look at that. There you go. Yeah. Now you've written a little Dave song. Dave loves those apps. It's, well, here's... <laughs> they can be it's, useful. It makes some really cool music on yeah. those apps. It's the idea of standing on the shoulders of giants. And, you know, there are... The technology allows you to create... I mean, you can create symphonies on your phone. Um, amazing symphonies, yes. but you don't earn the knowledge to understand how it goes together. I read a great article where they were talking about, you know, how does a kid who is raised on video games with these with these tremendous classical based soundtracks, how do they react when they actually hear a Shostakovich piece piece for real? You know, we've got all of this great media around us, but there's no meaning to it. It's just basically echoes of what came before, and people aren't learning the root of it. So, Tom, you have a few years on those of us at the table that are sitting near you. Do you have anything to say to make us feel a little bit better about the world that we live in? Or are you feeling as, as no, uh, look, here's dour and dark at, at as 62, we are? 62, man, you need frustration just to stay awake for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> So, well then, you don't okay, have any. You don't I have any. You don't have any wise Tom things for us. I mean, I, these are people that need. Wise. We need some. I mean, your relationship. Build us up, with, baby. Here's the deal: your relationship <laughs> with frustration will change. It was Dan O'Neill. Uh, uh, had a, a comic strip called Odds Bodkins, and I was relating to one of my favorite of his comics. It was uh, these two characters walking through this really weird uh, uh, place, and. Uh, one is saying to the other, you, you seem a little hysterical. And uh, the other character said, well, look, without without being hysterical, I wouldn't get through the day. And that's that's my relationship with frustration nowadays. I'm, I'm in this big old building, and there's always something to clean or fix. And I'm surrounded by, you know, 14-year-olds breaking things. <laughs> <laughs> Do, do, okay, but that, that's actually not a bad point, the and frustration there. It keeps me moving. Have, have, have you felt... Begrudgingly, I bet it's Has sometime. anybody at the table felt 
sort of a little more alive or just like more energy coursing through them since this sort of remarkable thing that's happened in the last year? Well, when you have a purpose, yeah, I feel I feel like you feel more alive. Um, and whether that purpose is one that comes from frustration or not, I, I mean, I don't think it matters. But I feel like a lot of people don't really have purpose, so they find something to give them purpose. And a lot of times, it's it's through frustration. Um, and I see that a lot on Facebook with people being enraged. What do you feel your purpose is in this juncture of your life? I mean, I know it changes as you age and as you get older. Like purpose to myself or purpose Just to the community or pur- society or whatever? When you wake up in the morning, it's like, what What Just gives you that question. sense? <laughs> oh, no, he needs... Hold on, no, no. Yeah, this, is a, this is a big question. <laughs> now you're a bad audience. I think um, uh, my purpose is, and I don't think it's very surprising, is to just follow my passion if my passion helps people. You know, I never thought that music was going to be something that, my music was going to be something that would help anybody but myself. But I found in people have come up to me and said things that like a certain song specifically resonates with them and got them through a hard time. You know, I'm, I, would, I don't think I have the ability to help people as well any other way unless I, you know, uh, well, yeah, no, I can't think of anything. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, like it, and it's the thing that I get the most joy out of too. So it's kind of, if I, if I lose the ability to do that, I feel like I will have lost a lot of my purpose. Um, like if I lost the ability to write music, I would lose a lot of purpose. Um, that's not to say that I wouldn't find purpose in something else, but I just don't have that yet because I've been focusing so much on this my whole life. Ever since I was a kid, I've been focusing on this. And I've never had a, like a, uh, an out. Like I've never, I never had a, uh, like a plan B. It's like, this is it. Because I never learned how to code. <laughs> so Airbnb isn't hiring. <laughs> I feel like when the sense of purpose is lost, that's when the despair starts to set in. Mm-hmm. And so, good songs though from despair. That's true. <laughs> you want to find that that thread. Yeah, yeah. Not enough to destroy you, but enough to make good it's art. It's a tightrope walk for sure. You do another song tonight, I think, called "End or Better Yet: The Beginning." Yeah. This has not been recorded yet. It's probably going to be on a future album. You want to tell us a little bit about that song? Yeah, that song is going to be on a future album that is a concept album. It's a story album, much like, you know, uh, The Who's Tommy, um, uh, like a rock opera. Um, And I started writing it a few years ago and thought to myself, oh, it'd be awesome if our next album was a concept album. Um, And so, and I was like, oh, this will be easy. You know, it's like, what's easier than like making up a story rather than trying to like delve deep and write about your own personal story. It's so hard and (laughs) I didn't think it through and there's like 19 songs and no character development and just like I wanted to bring in other characters but I just can't like I I don't have I can't do this for the rest of my life (laughs) writing this goddamn album but all the songs are so kick-ass and so exciting and fun and spaghetti westerning. It's all about the devil and like selling your soul and then 
you know, finding once you've sold your soul that the only gift that you really have is to find the devil and kill him for giving you that gift to take his place and be the new devil. Oh, I just gave away the ending. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's this whole, just, I, I, I overthought it and just underperformed it. But once, once it's out, I'm super excited <laughs> to just get this out of the world. Because this is the thing that's weighing on me the most right now, is just getting this goddamn album in here. The funny thing about, um, about Great White Noise is that Great White Noise actually came about because we were like, we really <laughs> should put something out <laughs> while we're working on the concept album. And originally, Great White Noise was kind of the, the B-sides. Mm -hmm. the, the, and the political scope of the album was something that we started realizing later as we started putting these songs. like, oh. I, th I think Sam has some some thoughts about some things, but um, but yeah, this this concept album has been like the eight hundred pound gorilla in our catalog at this point. So you say that it, you were thinking, oh, it'll be easy to just make up a story, and not talk about my own stuff. But in the end, don't you kind of feel like you're the main character of that play a little bit? I'm nothing like the main character in this story. <laughs> really? Yeah. Nothing, nothing at all. Nothing. Nothing like at him. all. No. That, not at all. I wish that you were, because then I would ask, do you think there's something there if we were like in a psychologist office to wanting to kill the devil so you can become the devil? Well, maybe there's one thing that we yeah. have in common. Does that appeal no. to you? No, not at all. And because the, actually the, uh, like the moral of the story is that you can't have good without evil. And so once he kills the devil, it's this cold, dead world that exists where there's no joy because there's no pain. And so in a devilless world, he realizes what he's done and how it's a horrible thing. And so his, the only thing that he can do is take the devil's place to become the new devil. So he doesn't even really kill the devil. He just become, takes the devil's place and becomes the devil. So he wasn't intending to become the new devil. No. Oh, okay. He just no. wanted revenge. He, yeah, and he realizes that only after killing the devil that the world needs needs a devil. Well, that's actually even though he's now the most evil person out there, mm. it's actually a very selfless thing to do. It's funny because when you think <laughs> about the story of um, of the concept album, the road to hell is literally paved with good intention. Mm. Yeah. That's, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if we can, if, wow, if we have the time to go over the entire well, concept, it, take, it takes a while. Yeah. But Do you want to share more? I mean, <laughs> if you think there's something interesting in there, I think it would be really interesting to hear whatever. Because I mean, it, it kind of captures some of your philosophy. You know, I, I got a question about that. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, how many people voted for Donald Trump that thought they were doing the right thing? Every single one of you them. You bet. The road to yeah. hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. If you believe that that's where hell is, is, is. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That lady uh, that you met in Georgia. Mm -hmm. She was a lovely person. Yeah, absolutely. Yet uh, she's, you know, uh, paved uh, her own road to hell, mm -hmm. in your opinion. Ah, she's a sucker. She's I think she's a sucker, sucker more than yeah. anything. Do we feel like Sam Chase, the man, is sort of like an anti-hero? Because it's like, I would say you're a good guy. But you're kind of like a Han Solo style good guy. You know what I mean? That's the fucking coolest yeah, thing yeah, I've yeah, ever yeah. heard. You can see his head inflating from yeah. here. Because <laughs> yeah. like when you see him from afar, you might you know you you're seeing Sam Chase perform. You're watching. You're like, God, I don't know. Is this a good guy or a bad guy? And it's like, no, he's a good guy, but it's like he's a little grizzled. You know, he's a little rough around the edges. He's not your traditional yeah. Hollywood superhero. Would you say he's yeah. untraditional? Ooh. Well, get to the chase here. Let's. Uh... Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, see you later. 
I mean, I mean, to answer your question, <laughs> I am great. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, I think generally, I'm in my everyday life. I'm just, a, I'm, I'm pretty nice guy. Yeah, and I just want to do right by people and treat people nicely and with respect. He's paving now, his own road. Now, when it comes to being on stage, it's an entirely different person, and uh, <laughs> it's. I wouldn't necessarily call it a character, but it, it definitely, I mean, there's a lot of, I'm pretty cynical, and uh, my bullshit radar is set to extreme because I feel like I've been a sucker to it. Why should you, you know? So in the end, I think my goal is to teach myself not to be a sucker and in that teach everybody else to not be a sucker. Does that make sense? This is kind of coming a little bit off the top. No, of my no, head. Th- this is this is but perfect. Um, I, I, you don't think that every day you is like that. You think that's more like the stage you. I don't. I mean, know. How does that not inform by every day you? But you you going to say something? Because I like to think I'm not an asshole all the time. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Sam in uh, as a normal human person goes through the world trying to like make space for people and talk to people and communicate with people, but on stage I've seen Sam turn into a horrible monster that like just like i i've got it's i've i've touched sam on the shoulder to try to get him to stop because i'm not sure if he's trying to incite a fight or something you know so it's um and i just uh yeah that's that's all i have to say about that it's a fair amount of cajoling on stage that tends to happen push people yeah people eat it up i mean it's obviously wouldn't be where we were if if that wasn't something people found enjoyable it's an interesting dichotomy because like uh you know, there's like, you know, it's like we're talking about like this, the record's really political and stuff. And I, um, the amount that Sam creates space for people who are politically uh, opposed to to him and to, you know, your your West Coast liberal thoughts is, is, a, is a, a lot of space. But, um, you know, it'll just be some small thing, you know, like somebody walks by or something and then all of a sudden, you know, the the whole crowd is a bunch of idiots <laughs> to this man. Well, I think, I, think that, I think those two spaces can coexist. I th- don't you think? I mean, I, oh, yeah. I think that that's like the realized version of you in some ways. I think you try to be fair in your everyday life, but those frustrations exist when you're not on the stage. Well, also, just, when, yeah, when I'm on the stage, I don't really want to be a pushover you know and i and i want to like be I, I like to think of myself more as a carnival barker or like you know the the ringmaster of the circus you're commanding the attention yeah and and you know it it i i don't want to be a pushover i don't want to be a sweetheart you know i'm not like if i'm here to entertain you and you're not being entertained i'm gonna do everything in my power to make that happen and you know i'm not constantly being an asshole to people but i you know want people to get riled up i come from a punk rock background so i want everybody to be riled up i want everybody sweating and shaking their fists and getting you know becoming animals you know get all that out we are winding down. Um, I, I just want to like say out loud, commemorate the fact that our man Joshua James Jackson is going to be leaving the project after how long working with this band? 
Uh, three or four. I don't know. Anybody know? <laughs> Over two under three. Well, actually, no. I guess yeah. yeah. But you. But I mean, often. you have you've spent at least three years playing yeah. on yes. stage yeah. with Safe this band. Yes. Absolutely. And this has been a pretty instrumental three years. You, yeah. you, in that time, you've started your own project, Literally. and you're going to be. Um, hey. You're going to be spending time with that. <laughs> so I, I just wanted to kind of take this opportunity to ask you if there's anything you wanted to say about the experience, uh, Sam Chase, the man. Just anything. I mean, this has been a pivotal sort of musical project for you. You've really kind of come into your own as an artist while playing in this band. And I think there's something significant about that. Yeah. Um, I've learned a lot about people playing with this band. Um, I uh, have been playing in bands for as long as I have been doing things intentionally. And uh, I... It takes a long time to realize that not everybody around you wants the same things that you want. Not everybody around you is just a different version of you with different hair or whatever. Um, and <laughs> I, um, in playing with this band, uh, I feel like I've learned how to communicate with people, how to talk to people, and how. Um, just how people are nice to each other and not shitty to each other. And, um, is one of those things that I didn't know that I didn't know until I learned it, you know? And I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, playing in a band that's, uh, like gender balanced too, you know, like I had never played in a band with women before and the, <laughs> whoa. And, uh, you know, the whole time I've been in the band, been a bunch of amazing women in the band and um i'm just really grateful for that experience because i think it's made me better and uh also it's uh dave's leaving the band on saturday oh dave's too. leaving the band <laughs> yeah um uh, sam chase will never die but if he was what would you say about him after he was gone <laughs> i love this <laughs> <laughs> i told you i'd get to give the epitaph yeah. so you know it's when you when you join up in a so and so and the band um you you go into it if you've been through the game enough times you go into it knowing that you're going to have to put yourself a little bit down a notch because it's that person's name on the marquee it's that person who ultimately is accountable for the success or failure of the band. And this is not the first time that I've been a sideman. My entire musical career has pretty much been the guy who replaced the other guy. Um, but I've never worked in an environment where somebody could be so personal about the ideas and thoughts and fears and beliefs that they're putting forward in musical in music and at the same time be completely open to collaboration on it um we don't you know the the songs that you hear on great white noise and i because i can only speak to great white noise that's the one album that did they are absolutely sam's vision but they're our baby and that is something that when you look at a band leader that could very easily say, this is my way and you're going to do it my way or you're going to do it the highway. And that person doesn't. 
and instead says, what do you want to do? What would you want to do? I mean, he's, he's, he's let me throw some pretty stupid fucking ideas at the wall. <laughs> and some of them stuck, and some of them just left a brown stain on the, mark as, on the wall. It, that takes faith. And one thing that Sam has always done is he's run his band like a family. Um, that's, that's why, you know, you can't really pinpoint a start date for most of the players in here. We just kind of phased in because you don't have a start and end date to family. It just one day you're there and you're, you've got everybody. Well, I guess you have a birth date, but I'm very long winded on this, but it really, Sam is somebody that builds an amazing uh, sandbox and then invites the entire neighborhood in it to play. Um, and it's sometimes it's it's frustrating as hell when you're playing on a stage and Sam just invited the entire audience <laughs> on stage and you're sitting there going, I play a giant fragile box and there are people cramming close. But at the same time, without that, I mean, that's just indicative of how open he is with sharing his vision and may, and allowing each of us to imprint our own experiences into that to create something truly unique and something special. Um, I know I'm walking away from this with the contentment that I've created some of the best music that I have in a lifetime of creating music with these individuals here. And uh, it wouldn't have happened if Sam didn't let me play on his upright bass one time at a party and gave me humongous friggin' blisters on my fingers right before I was supposed to go on, on the tour, on the road. Um, you know, he's just, he's, he is a, he, he's an iconoclast who also loves to work within a group. And that's something that you don't see in a lot of, uh, a lot of artists. And that's why the Sam Chase in the untraditional is such a special entity is because he allows it to be reflective of all of the individual facets that make it shine. That's not going to fit on a tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you, do you really think that Sam would have a tombstone? I mean, we're talking, Sam's going to have like a mausoleum. You're going to have a mausoleum. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like, you, you look like it's a mausoleum guy. Yeah. Yeah. It just scrolls. It's like a scroll Oh, We, we talked about that. Um, you know, between, you know, I, me personally, I have no, no interest in a legacy. I have no interest in, you know, when I'm gone, throw me in the ocean and let me be fish food. And Sam and I were having a conversation about it. He's like, no, I do want to be immortal. So you know what? I can see him having a gigantic mausoleum with plenty of room for me to carve in. <laughs> wow, how about that for a, for a thing, huh? I, I was just trying to make so you hard wanna... not to break down crying right yeah. now. <laughs> it was kind of a beautiful thing. That's going to be the theme I, of Saturday. Is... I, got to, hang, oh, yeah, God. I yeah. got to hang out at my own funeral just now. It was pretty cool. <laughs> And for you, Sam Chase, is it going to be more of the same in the years ahead, or do you or feel? Sam. You know, I always type is it out the same. Does, does everybody or? else type out same when they're typing this guy's yes. name every single Everyone. time? You know what they do? <laughs> they write everything but the Sam Chase and the untraditional. Yeah. Everything else, yeah. it's always either the same Chase yeah. or the same cheese. We've gotten a bunch of times. Yeah, we've same gotten the unconditionals. Yeah, yeah the unconditionals. Uh, the uh, unconventionals band. happens a lot. 
um, Sam Chase Band, which is not the name of the band, and it's specifically <laughs> not the name of the band because the Sam Chase Band was a was a a, a Christian rock band from Indiana, and then it, it's Indiana. not Sam Chase. <laughs> Because Sam Chase is a dude that looks a, a lot like me that plays in Portland, or, you know, is from Portland, Maine, that, uh, you know, writes similar sounding songs enough so that people get confused. So it was the Sam Chase is how that came about. I'm, I'm assuming that that possibly could have been a question that came down. Uh, no, too many people ask you that. Oh, you're good, man. You're uh, really good. But I will tell you that there is a Sam Luke Chase who's also a musician. Sam Luke in, Chase. He lives in Boston. He's a big sports fan, and he enjoys growing beers for Movember. Yeah, that's Sam Chase. Yeah. You know why he's Sam Luke Chase now? Because of you. Because of me. He changed all his album titles and everything. There was one time where he emailed me, and he was like, hey, man, this is getting really annoying. Like, I don't know how we, like, my shows are getting posted on the West Coast, and your shows are getting posted out here, and everybody's getting confused. And I was like, well... We're going to be playing Boston in a month, so if you want to come and hang out, I'll buy you a beer because there should be no bad blood between Sam Chase's. That motherfucker didn't show up. Oh, well, now there's got to be bad blood between Sam Chase's. Well, in his, Sam Luke Chase and I beer. have nothing in common anymore. Yeah. yeah. He's Sam Luke Chase. Um, I, I, <laughs> I was going to ask if you've ever had another Sam Chase get mad at you for calling yourself the Sam Chase. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I have plenty of them. Well, you're the Sam Chase. That's I don't have to ask why you put the the. You are the. I mean, anyone who spends any amount of time with you knows you're, you're the guy. You're the Sam Chase. So that's a dumb question. I wouldn't ask that. Um, but do you see <laughs> my my final one would be to you? It's like as you move here. We we've talked about so much stuff tonight. Do, do you see yourself doing? more of what you've done over the last seven years because you've been really putting your stuff out for the last seven as mm -hmm. the same chase um or do you see yourself pivoting you know and, ch and changing course going in another direction i mean things are always going to move yeah things are always going to change um with dave and josh leaving the band dynamic is going to be different and whoever we replace them with they're going to bring their own uh, dna to the group and that's going to change the music a bit. Um, Great White Noise pivoted from We'll Never Die. Um, and this concept album certainly is a different direction than one that we've ever, ever done. So, you know, things are going to continue to be Sam's life, you know, and, and the untraditional is going to be the untraditional's life. And however long this lasts, I mean, this is the most fun I've ever had, ever. And so I don't really want it to end, but I don't want it to necessarily stay the same either. So we'll see where it goes. We're going into the studio to start recording the concept album next month and also going to start recording tracks for another album that's going to be a bit more stripped down than, than the last two, at least. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll just see where it goes. I mean, if people still want to listen, I'm going to still put it out there and spend all the time and effort and money to put it out there otherwise i'll just go back to my room and record on GarageBand and make much a bunch more testicular fortitudes <laughs> and hella solo hella solo part two yeah yeah <laughs> well thank you all for hanging out with us tonight we appreciate the willingness to go deep and share parts of yourselves this that's, was way deeper than i thought it was gonna go this is amazing well this that's what makes for a fun episode is when we Stupid. are authentic and we strive to should we do a <laughs> you guys, do, you do a hug we'll do a big yeah. audio listeners very sorry so very sorry to the audio yeah, listeners how deep it is i never do group hugs <laughs> yeah hey, thanks, <laughs> we're breaking him out of his mold right now
But it, you know, these are the most fun episodes where people are authentic, where we try to speak truth and try to draw a connection. And we did a lot of that tonight. So we're very appreciative. And we've just spent a long time talking about the music and, and what you put into it. And in just a moment, now we get to listen to it. Yeah. The band is going to play five songs. The Sam Chase and the Intraditional is next. Thanks again for joining us, guys. All right, let's go play. Yeah! <laughs> I got problems But they don't amount to much They may be small compared to others But they're still deadly to the touch And I know they're not my own As I share them with the masses They are everywhere I go People wear them on their faces But I love the sound coming out of this old time radio What's this sensation It's making its way into the station It'll be that motivation that I keep hearing so much about All this commotion From this roadway locomotion I try to focus in But instead I'm tuning out To the sound coming out of the soul
way He's a book without a cover, not a poet, not a lover His true colors have not truly blended in His father's final words still in his head Were about a banjo and the devil and the prophecy He said, boy, take your solace in blood Ride those bodies through the flood Then he sang a wordless hymn upon the dead of the whole place have you taken them all with you when you left well he does this every night just not the way you might think their hearts no longer beating in their chest now have you ever held the weight of the whole world and have you pinned it to the ground have you stopped it from spinning as it draws its final breath you stand and take a glimpse from the end the end the beginning
Everyone keeps bragging on the state of what we've all become. We've seen it all coming from the brink. The water line is rising, though none of it is falling. There's plenty to drown, but not enough to drink. Yeah, we're more worried about our waistlines, our bank accounts and hairlines, while we pour our future down the sink. We sit by and watch it from the internet. We blame it on the government, but does anyone really know just what to think? But what I've seen is the power of a people who can change. What I need is someone who can just simply explain what is all the rage? What is all? Simplified, organic matter digitized, so no longer needed to sing. The radio's off its rocker, and the marching drum is off its market. Music has become so what a sink. Cause now that Hendrix is a microchip, nothing more than a right click. Anyone can be through the machine. So where's the dedication to the art of imperfection that could wash all of our good intentions clean? But what I've heard. Sour notes so beautiful and naked And what I need Is something so real It never can be fake What is all the rage? 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 And here's to the annihilation of our grand imaginations And here's to the loss of knowledge of all our generations But maybe it's the optimist in me That we will see an end to celebrity Where I can turn on my TV And not again will this question be raised What is all the Sides. 
twisting horizons, mocking all the moments, keeping them for later, writing all the stories so we can be remembered. The faith is with pizzas, we go off the rail, for a promise of the heavens where we'll aim to go through hell. We're smart enough to build a world to hide our ignorance, but not enough to go with a meaningless existence. I feel the ground shaking, I feel the ground shaking, I feel the ground shaking, coming from the sound of seven billion beating hearts, lots of many stomping feet, with the engines of the moon, will the rhythm of the heart beat
Here's a little song about our president, our President Trump. His entire life he's been the boss, but now that uh, he's the president of the United States, I don't think he realizes just yet that he's no longer the boss. The American people are the boss. And so as good bosses, I've decided to write this song to assess our employees' time in office thus far. This song is called Hey Don. Hey Don, come on in, take a seat, let me fill you in. I want to break it down, make it very clear. You don't run the place, you work here. You may walk the walk and talk the talk. You may think you're the boss, but you work for us. If your employee ever lied to you, what would you recommend we do? What's that two-word phrase that you're known for? Oh, you're fired, you're fired, you've been absolutely terrible. You're the laughing stock of the USA, and world leaders find you unbearable. You're a liar, you're a liar, and we call you that behind your back. We call you that right to your face, but you prefer alternative facts. Now this part goes out to all the guys in Congress that think they know better than us. Hey boys, I'll keep this brief. There's a disconnect in our core beliefs. Now, I don't think that any good person really wants you to take away their health insurance. You speak for us, at least that's what you say, but we have a voice too come election day. If you want to keep a job, you gotta suck up to the boss. I'm not talking about Trump, I'm talking about us. Now, this is why I've invited you here. You should hear the things they're saying out there. Not that you'd ever take a second to listen, because you're in D.C. getting yelled at by the president. Stand up for your people, rather than being his loyal sheeple. Oh, you're fired, you're fired. Come 2018, we'll say goodbye. You may think we don't have the guts, but we won't stop till the swamp runs dry. You're liars, you're liars. With greasy palms and plastic smiles, you keep saying, give them a chance. I think we'll give a chance to the other side. You're fired. Now, I think here the moral of the story is you may have the power, but you won't get the glory. It's obvious. Your ignorance is poisonous for all of us. So, Don, I think what's best for the country is that you go back to just making money. Put your name on stuff. Stick to what you know. Be the laughing stock of a reality show, or maybe Putin will take you in. He'd probably hire you. Oh, you're fired. You're fired. It's about time you retired. Go be the grandpa you're supposed to be, not the serial villain we see on TV. You're a liar. You're a liar. You're not the great uniter. You're the igniter, the tweeter, the great divider, the Russia colluding climate change denier, the hater of China, a friend of China. For God's sakes, man, make up your mind. Or better, why don't you just let us decide? Man, you're fired. You're fired.